0: I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, May 16th, we're studying Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. The Lord's angel directs Philip to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza so that Philip might proclaim the gospel to one man, an Ethiopian eunuch. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Venton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: Thanks. Good to be back.
0: As we get started, let's talk a little context. We're at the end of Acts chapter 8. What should we know going into this text?
1: Yeah, in Acts chapter 8, we have just heard about Philip, the uh, deacon and evangelist. Uh, who was preaching in Samaria and he was really fulfilling the prophecy Jesus made at the beginning of Acts uh, chapter 1 verse 8 that his disciples would be witnesses uh, and it says into Samaria and to the ends of the earth So here Philip is is doing this he's casting out demons, he's healing many people uh, and he's bringing great joy we're told to the Samaritans uh and really what he's showing is that you know since the samaritans were looked down on by those who were fully jewish uh he's showing that Christ has is making all one in himself uh, that he did that in his cross and broke down that wall of hostility that's between Jew and Gentile um and that includes then the samaritans who were kind of looked at they kind of sneered at as kind of half-breeds or whatever they would call them um we also hear then of the episode of Simon, uh, the magician, uh, who actually ended up believing Philip's preaching. He was baptized along with many others. Uh, but we hear then that Peter and John came from Jerusalem and gave the Holy Spirit to the Samaritans. This is what they did. They put their hands on the Samaritans. And whenever there was a new group that was entering the infant church, they were given the Holy Spirit in, in a special uh, measure. And, and Simon, the magician, thought this was great. And so he wickedly asked to purchase this ability for himself. Peter told him to repent. And then uh, right after that, Peter and John are returning to Jerusalem. They're preaching the gospel to the Samaritans as they head back there uh, again, proclaim it to all nations. And our account continues with what happened next with Philip. Mm.
0: So again, this is Philip the deacon, not the Philip the apostle, and he is out traveling. The spirit is going to direct him here to go to a particular place, to talk to a particular man, quite a bit here. And I, this really seems to be a, a transitional time within the book of Acts as things are going out from Jerusalem. As you mentioned, according to the Lord's own promise, it's going out into Samaria and into Judea, and, and we're on our way to the ends of the earth. We're not quite there, but we're, we're getting there in these texts here in Acts chapter 8. So we pick up in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's our text for today. That's Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Pastor Price, help us with the context here. We know Philip. He receives this word from the Lord's angel and directs him to a certain place and to ultimately a certain person. Help us sort out who these people are, where these places are.
1: Yeah, so Philip, an uh, angel of the Lord, told Philip to go uh, southwest from Jerusalem to an uninhabited place. Uh, there's a road leading, leading to Gaza, which is on the kind of southern end there of, of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and so he's on this road it's this uninhabited place and that itself is kind of telling of of what he's doing he is leaving a populated area uh, where all these samaritans are to go to an area that is sparsely populated right Uh, and in in fact he's going to then uh, evangelize to only one man uh, an ethiopian eunuch and so it is just as far as the context goes uh, when it comes to the where of, of you know, where Philip went, um, it's very different than where, where he just was, kind of telling us that, you know, this whole evangelizing that he is given to do uh, and called to do and sent by the Spirit to do, uh, it's not always going to look the same everywhere. Mm. You know, the same is true today. Um, but it's all the Lord's work, and it's all with the same instruments, so it just and,
0: if I can briefly then interrupt so there there is the there's place for both urban and rural ministry.
1: there you go. I mean, it, it's it has to do with uh, who who is there. and I mean, if you're in a rural area, you're going to have fewer people, obviously. and if you're in an urban area, you're going to have more. and uh, but those to whom God calls you, you are given to. Mm again, uh, give the, the same thing, no matter who you are. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But uh, yeah, it's it's good for us maybe just to kind of say it that way, like you did, because um, sometimes we might get the idea that they're more preferable, uh, you know, types of ministry or whatnot. And it's no, I mean, they're all the ministry to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to administer his sacraments uh, as as he has given them and so um, to see that in just Philip himself in one man yeah. is kind of kind of
0: neat well and and even just the fact as as you point out that he goes to just this one man this Ethiopian eunuch to to speak to him it reminded me a, a little bit and i hope this isn't too much of a stretch but it reminded me of of how jesus speaks in luke 15 of the shepherd who goes after one sheep you know one out of the 100 he goes after him and so this one man, this one Ethiopian eunuch is precious in the Lord's sight, and so the Lord sends Philip to him. And that, that even though it maybe doesn't look as impressive as, say, what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, this event here is just as significant in the Lord's sight because this Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith.
1: Yeah, and it's concrete. You know, I think sometimes we get into the, the tendency to look at, like, members of a of a roster kind of like a country club kind of a thing Mm. um or or just kind of as a nameless faceless person rather than the concrete soul uh, that god created body and soul and redeemed uh, and wants to then bring to faith uh, in Christ Jesus and, and into eternal life, body and soul. And so to look at each individual as precious in God's sight, uh, uh, this this then the question never becomes: Is it rural or urban or many or, or small? It's just here is. One who was made in the image of God, who is a sinner, who is in need of Christ. And thanks be to God, I am put in front of this person and yeah. called to speak the word to this person.
0: Yeah. that And that God give us that attitude toward those he places in our lives. So tell us tell us more about this Ethiopian eunuch. Who who is this guy?
1: So that he was Ethiopian is uh, maybe something we want to talk about a little bit here. Uh, it meant that he was a black man from the kingdom of Nubia. Um, which was on the upper Nile uh, between Aswan in modern day Egypt and uh, Khartoum in Sudan. And then also, you know, into Ethiopia as we now know it. And so the question of, is he actually from Ethiopia as we now know it? Well, he certainly could have been, but he's also kind of a a different, you know, we have different lines uh, drawn, um, you know, these days. So let's just kind of know that. Um, But we do know that the Judeans fled Uh, to this region during the Babylonian exile Mm. so that there would be Jewish people there, Jewish converts there. And that would include then this uh, Ethiopian eunuch. Now, eunuch, what does that mean? Well, to be a eunuch often referred to a man uh, who was castrated so that he could oversee a king's harem without the risk of becoming romantically involved with the women. and so that was a, a practice that they would they would do in, in that day and age and in that in that uh, setting. Uh, but it also could just mean an official with an important uh, administrative role. And that's really what we're given here, as far as what the text says. This Ethiopian eunuch mm. was certainly a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So we do know that about him, uh, being a eunuch, having that great responsibility. And this Candace, um, you know, we might think it's just a name, kind of like we might think Pharaoh is just a name, but it's actually the official title of the Nubian queen queens, just like Pharaoh. Is the title of all the egyptian kings so this is who he is uh when it comes to being an ethiopian where he's from a eunuch uh what his kind of role is as a court official and then uh that he's coming back from worshiping in jerusalem uh tells us that he was at one of these three annual festivals maybe come back from passover i i don't know exactly what w- what the timeline is to be honest there but he was uh also clearly a rich man um not only in charge of the treasure of of Candace but also uh one who uh, had a scroll and so yeah. to have a scroll in those days is not like you going over to Sam's club and getting in the bin and finding a little <laughs> cheap bible you know i mean this this is really really ex- uh, an expensive kind of a, a thing to have in those days and also since he's reading it out loud uh, from Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. Uh, it's in Hebrew, so clearly he's, he's well-educated as well. So uh, you've got quite the man there. He, he's not a... Um He's not a nobody either. He's he's quite a, an interesting character.
0: Hmm. Yeah, he he really is. the The fact that Philip is directed not only to this particular place in verse twenty six by the angel, but then to the the man himself, you know, by the Spirit in verse twenty nine, is this a is the Ethiopian eunuch a a surprising figure for the gospel to go to? I mean, in the sense that, of course, you know, Jesus sent his disciples to all nations, but you you mentioned, you know, there's this strife between Jews and Samaritans, a boundary that was overcome in the previous text, also through Philip. Is there something similar going on here? Is there a, a boundary of some sort that that exists that the Lord needs to direct Philip particularly to this guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, he is, he is a Gentile. And so um, you're going to have a spreading to the ends of the earth here kind of beginning uh and so philip is the spirit is the one sending him you know uh, the spirit is given in order that they might then be the witnesses to the ends of the earth so you know it's kind of interesting as that little section ends where the spirit sends philip uh is philip really running to the man's chariot really fast. Um wh- while the Ethiopians are are kind of resting uh, or the spirit kind of whisk him over there. Um well either way, we know that it is the spirit's intent to to move uh th- this man Philip uh who is given to evangelize um to be a witness to of Christ to to all nations that he is he's fulfilling this. The spirit is is moving all of this and he is at work. Um you know, if maybe Talked about this before, but you know, some people question whether we should call this the acts of the apostles or the acts of the Spirit, right? Yeah. And um, and it's it's really remarkable to see that the Spirit is moving this toward the Gentiles, then, uh, to to bring them in. Uh, they're not they're not in some outer court anymore. They they are brought complete access through Christ. They are grafted in um, to to that one olive tree, as as uh, Paul says in Romans.
0: I I think you're, you're right on when, when we talk about the name of the book, As, as you said, sometimes we, what should we call it? And this is one of those texts where you, you certainly see that the acts of the apostles and in this case, Philip, the deacon are directed by the spirit and the spirit through the word. That's, that's one of the, and I know we're going to talk about this as we get farther into the text, but the striking thing is that the spirit directs Philip to this man who then uses the word. I mean, this is how the spirit still works today is through he sends someone to give you the word. And it is through that word that is preached that he creates faith. It's the same thing that's happening here. It's, it's, it's quite striking how, I mean, that the spirit uses Philip in that way, in the same way that he, he does still today. So uh, with that in mind, I, I think that really will help the rest of our conversation because that is where, where it goes. So Philip has been, he's over by this chariot now he hears what the man is reading. So he's, he's reading out loud, which is maybe something we don't often think about today. We usually read silently to ourselves. It seems today he's reading out loud. Philip hears and says, do you understand? And and then he says, well, how can I take us into this initial interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian?
1: Yeah, it shows the need for a teacher. So in those days, it, yeah, people usually did read out loud. Uh, and so you know it, it always reminds me of of uh, Eli with with Hannah, oh, yeah. you know and, and thinking that she's drunk because she's, you know saying words to her kind of to herself um, and not out loud. Um this is a very typical thing to speak out loud. And so uh, we might think it's unusual, but for them, very usual. So Philip's hearing him, and he hears what it is. He knows what it is. He's educated himself. He's reading Isaiah. And so he asks him if he understands what he's reading. And his response is exactly what you want to hear. How can I unless someone guides me right and that word for guiding is like it's like the road right you mean you, you need somebody to to light your path for you right mm-hmm. um and to to in, give this word uh to illuminate it so that you actually understand what you're saying and so he invites philip into the chariot to sit with him and really what this teaches us just just this much of it is that uh We, too, should have this eager desire, like this Ethiopian eunuch did, to understand God's word. It is clear. It's just that we need someone to teach it to us, uh, and that God has provided preachers for that purpose, right? Jesus instituted the office of the ministry. It is a divine institution for the sake of us receiving faith in Christ Jesus uh, and then understanding what it is he has done. We confess this, you know, uh, in our Augsburg Confession in Article 5. You know, we, we in Article 4, talk about how uh, we are justified before God, not by our own strength, merits, or works, but, you know, for Christ's sake, freely, right, through faith. Uh, and we're received into to God's favor and our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. But how do we come to faith in this, that Christ has made satisfaction for our sins? Right? And, and through faith we're righteous in his sight. Well, we obtain this faith, it says, through the ministry of teaching the gospel and its ministry in the sacraments. And so these are the instruments the Holy Spirit uses to uh, work faith and that as, as this word then is taught, uh, God uses his instrument, uh, his preachers to to help bring about understanding of his word. And so it's just a beautiful thing that I think that any pastor can bring out uh, to help his parishioners understand and help all of us to understand how the office of the ministry is a gracious institution uh, whereby we can guide people through the word uh, to understand Uh, as we will see who Christ is, what he has done, the benefits that that brings us uh, and, and why this is a, a, again, a gracious institution, not some sort of just, well, I guess we need somebody to do it. Bob, would you do it? You know, I mean, no, it's, it's, we need this, but we also have in God a gracious God who gives us those who will give us understanding through, through the word.
0: I do think this is a a really important point to make and, and particularly in our own Context, because I I think within American Christianity there is a a thought that if it's just me and Jesus and my Bible and that's enough. And and we should be careful here, because as you said, Pastor Preuss, the scriptures are clear. God's word has clarity. That's one of the attributes of his word. And so we don't we don't deny that. But there is a, a thought. In fact, my my boys in, in their homeschool curriculum have been reading about the Reformation and, and in the book that they they'd been using, the, the author of that book. Claimed essentially that one of the things that Martin Luther did during the reformation in translating the Bible into German was that he allowed people to read the Bible for themselves so that they didn't have to have anyone else explain it to them. And when I heard them read that, I kind of scratched my head. I I don't think that's quite what he intended. How do we, how do we, I mean, walk that line so that we don't lose the clarity of the scriptures, but at the same time, don't, don't lose the, as you said, the gift that the office of the ministry is, in teaching the scriptures to us?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of a hard thing to explain to those who don't love the word of God. Hmm. you love the word of God, then you'll thank God that he's had it translated into your language and printed on pages so that you can have it at home and have it uh, not just memorized, but boy, is that great. And that, that, that's something that you would then take into your home. You'd have devotions. You'd, you'd share it with one another. The father would lead the family and all of this. And, and then they would have kind of this family altar uh, at, at home, And then they would say, okay, now our weekly and whenever else we're given to go to church uh, corporately, we're going to go and hear from the pastor and he's going to explain this to us so that we uh, can be brought through this word uh, to a fuller understanding. And he's been trained in this uh, for our sake. And of course, if we hear him say something that we think is incorrect, we should We should challenge him in a kind way, of course, and and hold him to the the right confession, knowing that we too have have the pure word. Uh, And so, it's not like the pastors possess the word as if it's only theirs, but rather that they have uh, been given this training and been examined and called and ordained in order that they might then be Uh, ministers. I mean, think about the words we use, ministers. We're we're to to, to be servants. We're to be stewards. These are the words that scripture uses um, so that you might more fully understand what it is God has for you. So, it's a both and. It's not an either or. And I think that's the best way for us to look at this so that we don't get into this kind of, well, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Well, The answer is yes, because he says to obey your leaders, but how about there's a more gospel reason for this too, is that you can understand Jesus better when you have a good preacher who's going to, who's been put there by your Lord who died for you in order that you might know there is a man there who's going to speak the word of forgiveness to you straight from God. And and his word is the living voice of Jesus when you hear it. Uh, How can you not love both?
0: Mm. I think that's a very helpful answer, Pastor Preuss, that we don't we don't want to play the office of the ministry and the word of God against each other as if somehow they're mutually exclusive or they you know, can't go together, but rather receive both gifts of God together. I think that that's very helpful because, I mean, what what a joy it is to, as you said, to be able to read the word of God at home with my family, but also then to, to be able to talk about it with other pastors and to learn from other pastors who who then teach me that that same word. Because, I mean, I think, and maybe, maybe in our own American context, we have this idea that we can be self-sufficient in everything, but the Ethiopian eunuch is a good reminder that we can't. We do need the preacher to proclaim to us what the word is and and not just in like not just in the moments of i i don't understand what isaiah is talking about but even in those moments where where our conscience is troubled and we can't apply the word rightly to ourselves well, like we need the preacher to come and, and apply that word to us because sometimes our our consciences become troubled by sin or are attacked by the devil and and we don't know which word to turn to the Lord sends us a preacher to, to apply the word correctly to us. I think that's, that's part of our need for the office of the ministry as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also just historically, I'm just thinking about this 1522 Luther, gets the, you know, New Testament out and in German, they didn't have it. They, they, I mean, nobody could, no peasant, regular person at you being know, ordinary Joe um, had the Bible in their homes. And, and the Gutenberg's press uh, uh, made it so that, I mean, so we're talking about 1500 years of church history where people don't have the Bible just sitting there to read. They went to church in order to hear it. They they learned by heart in order to hear it. And so this Ethiopian eunuch not only shows us that we need a preacher, but he also demonstrates to us that this was a rare thing for people to be driving down a road in a chariot with, with a scroll reading the scriptures. Uh, faith comes by hearing, we're told. Mm-hmm. That's not to the exclusion of reading. It's not to the exclusion of reading. However, uh, it certainly says what it says. Faith comes by hearing. You know, and and so we should then ask ourselves, well, who who's preaching? And if you look at Romans ten, it says pretty clearly, how shall you know they they he- hear unless they uh, have a preacher,
0: mm. right? Yeah, yeah, and and again, I mean, the, notice the way that the the spirit works here, it is through these means for this Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, we have from, from Luke's writing, we know that the angel directed Philip to this road, that the spirit sent Philip to this chariot. But from the eunuch's perspective, he knows that he's got the word, and here is the preacher, and it is through those means that the spirit actually does his work for this Ethiopian eunuch. This is, I mean, we've been talking a little bit about about the confessions already. This is a good example of how the spirit chooses to work through the word and nowhere else. This, I mean, the Ethiopian is not an enthusiast as the script, as the confessions talk about it. He receives the spirit through the word proclaimed by Philip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the old Lutheran axiom that there can be no wordless spirit and there can be no spiritless word. And, uh, the the word is filled with the spirit to be sure. Uh, and the spirit's always going to come with that word uh, in order to to bring us uh, not just him, himself, but where he is so too, uh, he brings Christ home to us mm-hmm. and the father home to us. And we have God himself uh, who dwells with us when we have the word. And that's what the Ethiopian eunuch wanted. And that's why he requested that this, this uh, man Philip Uh, would come up and and explain it to him guide him so that he would understand uh, what exactly was being said
0: and so philip is going to do that and we're going to pick up the rest of that text on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron here on kfuo we're talking acts chapter eight with pastor stephen preuss we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, May 16th. We're studying Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at. Philip, who has now been invited up into the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch wants to hear Philip explain this scripture to him. Philip has already recognized he's reading from Isaiah. And so, Philip, now here's in particular the passage. Take us into to this. What is Philip going to do here? How does he proceed with the invitation to teach?
1: So, he, he knows... Uh, what scripture teaches he's he's well-educated here himself and uh is not being sent out without without a knowledge of what christ has done and so what happens is the ethiopian eunuch wanted to know whether the passage uh, which we know is from isaiah 53 uh, verses 7 to 8 whether this was about isaiah or about uh, someone else and so i mean again just to to read those words like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth and his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. So is this about Isaiah? Is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip, then we hear he opened his mouth. I always love that because that's what Jesus does at the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. He opens his mouth and he he proclaims the the good news. And that's what uh, Philip does here. He proclaims the good news about Jesus. Jesus uh, is the sheep led to the slaughter of the cross who is silent before his accusers, before Pilate and Herod who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Uh, and it was because that generation took his life away from the earth and justice was denied him. But we also know that it was uh, his father right, and, and the spirit who led Jesus, uh, who is God's incarnate son to that death in order to be you know, that sheep, that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is what Philip is, is explaining to him. We're not given Philip's sermon which I think is kind of nice because then we just fill it in with all of the wonderful things the scripture says about Jesus and you can't really be wrong. And there's one thing that, that we know he, he talked about, which we'll get to in a second, but you'll notice that Philip, we, we hear just started with these verses from Isaiah. It says, and beginning with this scripture, right. And this, that's very reminiscent of this, especially during the Easter season, we should, those words should be ringing in our ears. as something that are familiar. Mm. Um, Jesus Uh, Did this, right? So Philip brought in other passages of the Old Testament scriptures, just like Jesus did with the Emmaus disciples when he was walking with them. Uh, And Philip here then gives the Ethiopian eunuch understanding, telling him the good news about Jesus. But uh, it does remind me that whole beginning with this scripture it uh, reminds me of uh, luke 24 27 where it says in beginning with moses and all the prophets jesus interpreted to these emmaus disciples and all the scriptures the things concerning himself so that's what he does he says no it's not about isaiah this is the suffering servant this is our our lord jesus the son of god the christ you've been waiting for
0: mm. yeah I, I love i love the way that that's written there beginning with this scripture and and I mean, he could have, I suppose he could have been reading from anywhere in scripture and Luke would have been able to write that same thing. Philip would have been able to do that same thing from whatever scripture he had been reading beginning there. He could have proclaimed the good news about Jesus, which is just a marvelous thing. And hopefully what our what our pastors do every week in the pulpit is to begin with whatever scripture it is and then proclaim the good news about Jesus, because it it is all about him. I think it's no accident, of course, that he is reading from Isaiah and, and man, you know, I. On the one hand, it's good, I suppose, that we don't get Philip's sermon so that we can just sort of imagine. But on the other hand, boy, I would have loved to have hear what other passages he brought in. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and of course, this, I think the text from Isaiah 53 is fairly familiar. We hear it on, on Good Friday, the the suffering servant, as it's often called. There's, there have been other who's, others who have pointed out to me that later in Isaiah, in, in chapter 56, Isaiah speaks prophetically to eunuchs in particular and to foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. So like, this is just a couple of verses here. Isaiah 56 verse four, thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. And that's just a a few chapters later from where he is right here. And it I, I like to think that, that Philip unrolled the scroll a little bit farther and, and showed him that, too, such that, you know, what is recorded here in the course of just that one part of the verse, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This could have turned into it. I mean, a whole afternoon or, or maybe the whole day of, of Philip opening the scriptures to this Ethiopian.
1: Yeah, that's 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 great. I, and I, I wonder, too how long it was. I mean, yeah. we're not told how long the sermon was. I guarantee you it wasn't just uh, five ten minutes, but it was it was certainly within the realm of possibility and actually kind of likely that that he could have unrolled it further and and read this. Um, and we'll also talk about in a second how he could have gone a little bit before this too, uh, and read something that that helps us understand then why. Why they end up uh, getting out of the, the chariot and stopping their, their journey? Uh, so yeah, it's it, it, this. This is a prophecy that you just read from Isaiah 56. Uh, certainly is being fulfilled in that this man uh, is a eunuch and this man is being brought to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and that this is him then entering that kingdom uh, that is promised, and that this covenant uh, is is then given to them and they're joined to the Lord.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a wonderful thing to, to imagine the full conversation that Philip has with this and how he teaches it. And I just given what we hear from the Ethiopian, it seems like every time the Ethiopian speaks, he's asking a question. And so, I, I imagine it was a lively back and forth between Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch reading a scripture, asking a question, showing how it connects to Jesus. I, I think you, you mentioned that because of he being from Ethiopia, that's where some Jews had had fled previously. He's he is a, a proselyte. He's been brought into the, the Jewish faith. He likely knows some of this already. And it's like Philip is is able to fill in the gaps. And he does yeah. so. And, and perhaps when he was in Jerusalem, he had heard some things about Jesus already. Uh, again, there's, there's some pieces there that we don't know for sure. But you can imagine some of these things. Now, what Well, will go ahead, Pastor Price
1: yeah just kind of like you say you kind of read between the lines but i just wanted to pick up on what you said about he's always asking a question you know i didn't really pick that up and that's that's so right i mean that's what he does and uh it's very catechetical too isn't it The, the questions are asked and then and then we have the answer and so it's it's like a little catechism lesson too
0: that's right there there are no bad questions and the ethiopian eunuch is a good example of that ask your pastor the questions i guarantee you he wants to answer them just like just like philip did and he he wants to that's tell right. you the good news about jesus so ask those questions so uh, take us in how how this progresses then they're going to come to some water and and the ethiopian's going to have another another question for him uh, what what's going on here is as, as the account progresses
1: what, what happens is that we are shown that teaching the good news about Jesus certainly includes baptism. Mm. And, you know, sometimes people treat baptism as if it is a peripheral teaching and, and not, the, mm. not the, the very gospel itself. And so I, I find this just a beautiful truth that, okay, in Matthew 28, when Jesus says to make disciples, he tells them how to do it. He says, by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And, you know, Philip might have even used uh, the chapter before Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52, which was, again, perhaps in the scroll of the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, and used that to teach of baptism and its saving benefits. It says there that he, the Lord, shall sprinkle many nations and what a, you know opportunity then to start talking about baptism. But, you know, no matter what he used, clearly Philip taught about baptism while mm-hmm. he was in his sermon on Isaiah 53, right, beginning with yeah. that scripture. And as he's teaching them, baptism not just comes up, but becomes so important that when the eunuch sees water, right, and they're in an uninhabited place, a desert area. And there would be in the Judean deserts, there'd be a spring or a pool or a stream found here and there. And he sees it. And clearly, whatever it is that Philip had said, it brought the Ethiopian unit to say, See, here is water, right? Behold, look at that. There's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Hmm. And so when we look at that and the way that this this account progresses, there is no doubt. That when it comes to catechizing and however long it took there as he was speaking to him, beginning with Isaiah 53, that, that Philip brought in baptism, not just as some peripheral teaching in the Christian church, but as one that is so important, so vital, that this Ethiopian eunuch sees the water and immediately says, I want to
0: be baptized. Mm. Uh, that, that's a fantastic point, Pastor Preuss. You know, I mean, you, you brought up Matthew 28 and, of course, the centrality that baptism is for what Jesus gives his church. And even in the book of Acts, you know, back in Acts chapter 2, after Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, the people there are cut to the heart. And they ask him, what should we do? And, and Peter is quick with the answer of repent and be baptized. But that's but as, right. as you point out here, the the question here comes from the eunuch himself, And he's already been taught about baptism so that that Philip has taught him about baptism and the eunuch knows to ask that specific question. I mean, that that's a really important insight into what Philip was teaching and and should inform our own teaching. You know, I mean, in in Bible class. Here, here at Grace, anytime it seems that water comes up, whether it's in the Old or the New Testament, we start to talk about baptism. And and sometimes I, I think there are those that might, well, you know, you're always talking about baptism and it's it's just water. Why do, why does that always bring a baptism for you? But like it's not really there or something like that. I, I think the example of, of Philip here and how you're bringing it out is no, it, it really is that central that it's not some sort of like secondary matter, but this is part and parcel to the gospel that we teach people about baptism so that like the Ethiopian eunuch, they would desire it if they do not ha- yet have it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a new birth. It is my life. My baptism is my life. It is your life as a Christian. It is what gives you life. It is, it is what you return to for life because it delivers to you all the benefits that, that life itself, Jesus Christ, purchased for you by his blood on the cross and is guaranteed for you by his glorious resurrection, and it is it is deposited in that water when he was baptized uh, that we would receive his righteousness, that we would receive victory over sin, death, and the, and the power of the devil, uh, that we have eternal life and our heirs according to the hope of eternal life, I mean, it, it gives you everything. And I can, you know, I was just teaching this the other day in a, in a adult confirmation class that when it comes to the conversation that they had, Philip could have just sung God's own child, I gladly say it, <laughs> to this Ethiopian eunuch, and explained to him with the theology therein contained what a, a treasure baptism is that is worth more than any and here this man is with all the treasures of candace and what does he want he wants the treasure of baptism Mm -hmm. and then he he understands then if philip has really proclaimed this so well which we could only assume he gave a better sermon than any of us could ever give and here he must have given him the understanding of the forgiveness of sins that his his conscience can be at ease, that that the devil has no power over him, and that he can be silent uh, because Jesus has crushed his his uh, his head on the cross, uh, that death cannot end our, our gladness, and all of that, right? Mm. And so I really do think that this should be brought out from this text, uh, right. that the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch and his desire for it proves that the the uh, the central teaching for us as, as those who I want to teach people, how do you become a Christian? And, and what do you live from as a Christian? The answer is baptism. Mm.
0: You know, I, I find that particularly helpful, given the previous text, uh, With we, we talked about this at the beginning, how Philip had just been in a city in Samaria, and when the apostles came, there's this unusual thing, we talked about it yesterday, where it says they were baptized in the name of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. And we talked yesterday about the importance of not separating baptism and the holy spirit uh, but there are those there are those groups of christians who would try to do so and would separate you know a water baptism from a spirit baptism it strikes me that that luke in the way that he's got acts arranged here the next thing that Philip does is a, a text where this Ethiopian eunuch wants nothing more than to be baptized. And, and so, you know, just to, as a, another reinforcement that the previous text is not in any way diminishing what God gives in baptism comes this text where the Ethiopian sees this water and his immediate desire is to be baptized because he knows that in that baptism, he receives all the riches of God. There's nothing lacking.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it's exactly right. And, you know, the whole separation between the two is really a sad thing because it steals from so many the comfort that, that we're, we're talking about here. And as we go on, we'll see that, too, with Ethiopian's reaction to all of this. Um, it's just a beautiful reaction and one that helps us kind of end today when we do on on a really serious uh, note of, of joy mm. for for the newly baptized and for the baptized Christian in general.
0: That's right. That's right. Now, now within the, the interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian, you have, you mentioned Matthew 28 earlier where Jesus puts baptism and teaching side by side here. That same thing happens for the Ethiopian eunuch. How do those two things go together? The teaching and the baptism, particularly this, yeah. Latest, this man.
1: Yeah, they, they always go together. And this is something that is, is good for just us to remember baptism and teaching go together. When Jesus sent out his uh, apostles, he said that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. And then he said, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son of the Holy spirit, teaching them right to observe all things that I've commanded you. And so the baptism and teaching always go together. Uh, now, when it comes to how you deal with, uh, you know, an adult convert, this is actually a really great example of how it should be done. So uh, you first teach and then you baptize. Now, with infants, we, we do it the opposite way, like Jesus orders it in Matthew 28, right? First baptism, then teaching. Um but infants, the reason we do that is because infants need the gift of baptism. They have original sin, and this is how God brings them salvation. We have plenty of examples of all of uh, why we should be baptized and whole households being baptized. They're included in all nations and so on and so forth. But they lack the ability to fully understand, right? And to receive the teaching as, as we will then give to them later on. So you first baptize, then you teach, and they can then confirm that they believe that uh, later on. Uh but adults, they can understand, and so we do teach them first, and then baptize them. And this is what the Ethiopian certainly understood. Um, he 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 knew that he needed to know about this before he would jump into baptism. And uh, this Ethiopian also very clearly understood what it was that he uh, what he needed. Uh, he needed Jesus, and he needed him as his savior. And he was able to understand all that he was being told. And so this was a catechesis that was was before his baptism, and it's really something that happened much more than just the time that mm-hmm. Philip spent with him, right? So he was a convert to Judaism, and so he's already well educated in the Old Testament teaching. Um, and the reason this is important, there is no New Testament yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're reading it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so this is happening. He's a part of, of what's going to be written down. And so the fact that he already knows all this old testament teaching shows that the the little time that Philip did spend with him was sufficient for this man then to be baptized at once, you know, and then they just stop and go down into the water and, and he's baptized. So yeah, I do I find this as a good reminder, first of all, that baptism and teaching always go together. And from this account that we have a great example of how an adult convert should be given baptism.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, they they go together. Jesus words put them together in Matthew 28 and it, it is just a, it's a difference in order. And I mean, so, you know, for the infant who is baptized, we always want to make sure that we do the teaching. We don't want to treat baptism as just something, Hey, you're done. And everything's great. I mean, yes, baptism gives these great gifts, but the teaching always goes with it. And, and given the way that this text concludes with the Ethiopian rejoicing, I can't imagine that he stopped reading that scroll or that he stopped being taught the good news about Jesus after this event, the the baptism and teaching always go hand in hand. Again, we don't, like we were talking earlier about the word and the office of the ministry. We don't play the gifts of God against each other. We receive them together to receive all the good things that God wants for us. So this Ethiopian eunuch has received that they go into the water Philip baptizes him they come out of the water and then the, the the text ends pretty quickly two things happen one to Philip then to the Ethiopian let's talk first about Philip what what happens with Philip after the baptism
1: he continues his work but not there and he uh, the spirit spirit whisks him away so that the eunuch uh, saw him no more we're told and uh, he's first preaching as at, at Azotus. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm pretty sure that's right. And that was the Old Testament Philistine, Philistine city of Ashdod. Uh, we do know that. It's about 20 miles north of, of Gaza. So, you know, right there uh, by the Mediterranean as well, up the coast. And Philip, as he's, he goes there, is then preaching the gospel to the Jewish and Gentiles in the towns until he gets to Caesarea. Uh, and according to Acts 21, which is the next time we hear about Philip, uh, that's that's where he is still. And so we should kind of maybe assume that that's kind of where he settled was in, in Caesarea, uh, the maritime one there by, by the Mediterranean. So that's what happened with Philip. Um, I think the Ethiopian is really just a wonderful, simple, straightforward ending. He, he has this continual rejoicing. right? He went on his way rejoicing after his baptism. Now, what do we then see as implied by that? Well, a whole lot, right? He rejoices in baptism we would expect for the rest of his life. And so what probably happened is that he no doubt spread to the Jews and Gentiles back home the good news of Jesus, which included baptism, uh, and congregations were established in Africa, uh, and that the life of the baptized continues in the apostolic teaching of Christ, as we heard in Acts uh, chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They had divine services, in other words. Uh, and so we should expect that the Ethiopian eunuch did this, uh, and that his his rejoicing was was genuine and and heartfelt, and uh, that, that should give us uh, a sense of rejoicing over our own baptism uh, today, and then also give us a zeal for missions today. Mm. What, what does Philip do? He, he It's the word. It's the word. It's baptism. It's what Jesus told us to do as we go mm. and do what Philip did then today in the church in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and much rejoicing will come of this in our day, too.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, with this the Ethiopian, as as we said earlier, this is one man to whom Philip is given to speak. And yet as you point out, in all likelihood, he goes home and, and just as that the man in the the garrisons in the gospel, you know, goes home and tells all his all his friends and family how much the Lord had done for him, so too this Ethiopian eunuch does. And and through then this one man, how the gospel does continue to spread. And and yeah. as you said, I mean I think that should give us great great encouragement in our lives as Christians today, when we do have the opportunity to speak the good news about Jesus from whatever scripture to even just one person that, that that one person, as we said earlier is precious in the Lord's sight and and needs to hear that gospel. And even through that one person, just the, the gospel can continue to spread how that, what seems maybe insignificant in the eyes of the world, the Lord takes and uses in, in wonderful ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's that, You know mustard seed that ends up doing a whole lot i i uh have a little kind of a personal story on that that um my grandparents on my mom's side were both deaf and uh were not lutheran and uh the lutheran church missouri synod in the michigan district uh i think still has a a deaf ministry and it was through that deaf ministry that uh, they were brought into the lutheran church and they were just two people right Uh, and yet, you know, I have so many brothers and uh, we have so many children in our family now. It's amazing what one one pastor who reached out to these, my grandparents, uh, has brought about through the generations. And so, yeah, the fruit that can come from this is just a beautiful thing. Uh, and that's ultimately we, we want, even if it were just for one individual and that we the only person, um, that would be worth it. Mm. Uh, but we also should see that that God does produce a, a bounty uh, and we should not be surprised when when that happens. Mm, yeah. We should be rejoicing instead.
0: Yeah, God God be praised for for what he does through through one person and and for one person and the bounty he creates. Pastor Poisson, we got about three minutes here left on the morning as you reflect upon this text, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, give us give us the good news for us as Christians from this text
1: good news here is that god sends preachers he sends the, the the word to be proclaimed that we might understand who jesus is and what he's done for us that he is the lamb of god who took away the sins of the world um and he was silent before his accusers Justice was denied him so that we might be justified, declared righteous through what he's done for us. This is what the Ethiopian eunuch believed. Uh, This is what Philip proclaimed to him. And this was what was delivered to him through that proclaimed word. And you have the same word proclaimed to you today. Go hear it. Go listen to it and rejoice in Christ just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. And also rejoice in your baptism if you're not baptized go talk to a good lutheran pastor to to get that uh understood as to why that is such a wonderful gift um but then rejoice in that baptism that's what the ethiopian did the, it's not a peripheral teaching it is a the, the center of what we teach is that jesus christ died and rose for our justification for our sins and that we have eternal life in his name and that is what is delivered to you in holy baptism It's the promise than the this, the watery gospel, whereby our lives begin, we're given new birth, and that we then come from those waters, rejoicing, and return to those waters daily, drowning our sinful nature, our old Adam, and rising as those who uh, live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And this is what the Ethiopian eunuch had. This is what you uh, have too, through the Word, through baptism. Uh, And this is what it means to be a Christian. So, uh, and if you uh, feel like you're just some, just one person and you're not significant, well, look what happened here. The Lord sent Philip to one person. Uh, You're not insignificant in the Lord's sight. Uh, You have much more value than anything uh, in this world because you are made in God's image. And he sent his son who is the very image of God itself, himself uh, to, to purchase your salvation. And so uh, there's a lot here. To sum it all up, uh, it's full of the gospel. It's full of the gospel of Jesus Christ for you uh, in baptism and in the preached word. So rejoice in your baptism, rejoice in that preached word, and rejoice in the one who administers that to you.
0: God be praised. Pastor Stephen Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us today with Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today.
1: You bet. Always enjoy it.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. You got any questions about Acts chapter 8? Please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.